Welcome to Present Truth Broadcast with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga. Brought to you by Present Truth Ministry, a teaching ministry where believers are trained to be established in the truth of God's Word. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.pastormax.ng. Thank you. All right, let's um, get back into what we were studying on the biblical roles of fivefold ministers. So this will be like part three, if you've been following the parts. Biblical roles of fivefold ministers. And we've been looking at the function of the fivefold ministers or the fivefold ministries. And we have been able to establish that the fivefold ministers or the fivefold ministries are to equip the saints for the work of ministry. The fivefold ministers are to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now, we said that the King James Version uses the word um, perfect, but in other renderings or other translations, you find the word equip, which uh, is saying the same thing. Now, the ultimate work of ministry is the ministry of reconciliation. The Bible says that he has committed unto us the ministry of what? Of reconciliation. That means that when we say that uh, the saints are to be equipped for the work of ministry, what we are saying essentially is that the saints are equipped for the work of um, salvation. Okay, for the work of salvation. You know, for instance, there's what you call the ministry of helps, which um, you find something like the ushering, the technical department, the, the, the choristers, the worship team. And sometimes when you ask people what is their ministry, they'll say, well, my ministry is singing. Okay, in a way you're correct, but there's no ministry like singing. Okay, it's under the, the ministry of helps. You can say there are helps which helps the body of Christ too for us to be orderly. But every believer, listen carefully, every believer has just one ministry. And what is that ministry? It is called the ministry of reconciliation, which is salvation. Everything that we do in the kingdom of God must ultimately be geared towards what? towards salvation. If it is not geared towards salvation, it is not fulfilling the essential ministry. So, when the Bible says that the fivefold ministers are, are to equip the saints for the work of ministry, the work of ministry is clearly defined. So, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and I want to read from verse 16 and we will stop probably at verse 21. Let's read quickly. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm using the New King James Version. Verse 16, therefore from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. That means we do not know people just according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. That means we do not just look at Jesus as the man who walked the streets of Galilee, who was a carpenter. We don't know him that way anymore. He is now the resurrected Christ. Verse 17, therefore, because of this reason, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. So, through the person of Jesus Christ, we have found reconciliation to God. Okay? It says, and has given us, what? 
the ministry. I didn't hear you. He has given us what? The ministry of reconciliation. So this is the ministry that the fivefold ministers are to equip you to function in. Which means that ultimately we were reconciled back to God through Jesus Christ. Now we are to equip the saints to be able to get back into this same ministry and help others to be reconciled back to God. That means that you should be actively trained in soul winning in soul discipleship and nurturing other believers. So, the body of Christ is not just where your needs are met. The body of Christ is where you are trained to be able to rescue men from hell and get them born again. Are you following this now? So, it goes on to say, that is that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So, you must understand this, because sometimes people say, well, the Lord has called me to preach this, or the Lord has called me to preach this, or I'm an apostle of this, or I'm an apostle of that. But if you follow the scriptures consistently, you will see that there is one ministry of reconciliation. Okay, And in the one ministry of reconciliation, there is the word of reconciliation. Which means that the one ministry has one word. And what is the dividing factor there or the common factor with, within the ministry and the word? Reconciliation. That means whatever gospel you preach should be to reconcile men back to God. Not to yourself. Not to your church, not to your denomination, but to reconcile men back to God. He says, he has given to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors of Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we employ you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Why are we doing that? Verse 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be seen for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So clearly here, the gospel is defined. What is the gospel? What is the message of reconciliation? That Christ became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And that is the gospel. Anything short of that is not the gospel. Because the gospel is not God imputing sins on men. The gospel is God taking the sins of men so they can become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11, these are the things that the, the fivefold ministers ought to train the saints in. Understanding the gospel. Understanding the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Understanding what Jesus did for us, in us, and is doing through us. This should be the context of our training. You know, but somehow, sometimes because of our needs, we, instead of getting trained in this thing, we are uh, getting trained on so many other things. But you know, it is clear that God wants the saints to be equipped for the work of ministry. And it is clear that there is a word of ministry. And it is clear that this word of ministry actually means that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself and that he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Praise the name of the Lord. Are you still here? Okay, so go back to Ephesians chapter 4 now and verse 11. Let's read there and build up something 
So this is one of the primary functions of a minister of the gospel. He's not to train you on the activity of demons. Uh, he's not to train you. I, 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 heard, I heard one time someone was preaching and he says, uh, for you to defeat an enemy, you have to understand the enemy. And what he was trying to say uh, ignorantly was that we have to understand how the devil operates for us to be able to deal with the devil. That would be true if the devil was not defeated. Praise God. If the devil was not defeated, then it's fine. But you cannot understand how someone who is defeated operates. He's already defeated. Now, the only instruction the Lord gives you concerning the devil is what? To resist him. Okay? To resist him and to give him no foothold. To give him no foothold means you're the one that allows him in. If you don't allow, he wouldn't have a foothold. So we are not serving a powerful devil. Uh, sorry, we're not, serving, we're not serving a God who is um, contending with a powerful devil. You know, like you say, white and black, right? Um, what's that now? That's opposite, right? Is it opposite? White, black, you know, all of those stuff. You know, man, woman, and you have all that. And you now say God and the devil. No, 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 no. no. That's an insult. That's an insult. It's not like we're on God's side. Then the devil, then it's like a tug of war. So God is holding us and say, push, push. And then the devil is pushing. And then, no, 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 no. Stop thinking that way. <laughs> the devil is not the opposite of God. Amen? He is king of the universe. Praise the name of the Lord. So we're not, we're not saying God is... You know, sometimes people make it look like this. I was seeing them in the Philemon Church yesterday. People make it look like this, like, you know, um, we are fighting darkness. There's a way people make it look very special. We are fighting darkness. You know, we are of the light. When darkness comes, stop making all those comparisons. It makes you look powerful on the earth realm, but actually, it makes you look very foolish in the realm of the spirit. Because the Bible says in John chapter 1 that this light shines in darkness and darkness cannot comprehend it. The word comprehend means understand. That means darkness cannot understand light. If you read the amplified version, it said darkness cannot absorb it. That means what it means is that even if you were to be given to the devil, he will not be able to receive you. That's what it means. So don't say, ah, they came to oppress me. No, darkness and light cannot be in the same room. Are you following what I'm saying? This is what you need to be trained in. Stop making it look, you know, I've heard people say, we are in a warfare. No, no. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. But they are mighty through God to the pulling down of what? Strongholds. Pause there. What is a stronghold? A stronghold is a mental belief system that has been formed over time. So, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. How do we pull down strongholds? We renew our mind. We renew. You just change the way you think about yourself. For instance, somebody say, well, I think I need deliverance. But the word of God says, he, he that the son sets free is free indeed. How do you deal with that strongholds of deliverance? I believe that the son has set me free and I'm free indeed. If not, you go for deliverance all the days of your life. Oh, I mean, you will keep going. You will keep going. 
Because just as light increases, so that's how darkness increases. And if you engage with darkness, you will see more revelations of darkness manifested in your life. So the first day you go for deliverance from your father's household, the next day you go for deliverance from the secondary school you attended, the other day you go for deliverance because of the color of your skin, the third day you go for deliverance because you are a woman. You understand what I'm saying? The revelation of deliverance keeps expanding. But if you stay in the truth of God's word, you discover that he that the son sets free is free indeed. And you have to believe that more than what you see. Are you following this now? Okay. So go back to Ephesians chapter 4 verse uh, 12. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, the body of Christ needs to be edified by those who have been trained for the work of ministry. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 26. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 26. These are life-changing messages that you should build your life on. You know, sometimes, even as a, as a pastor, you know, sometimes you, if you're getting ready to teach some of these messages, you know, in your heart sometimes you wonder, you know, because... These are not messages readily that people are really excited about. You know, some people would be excited about it. But there are messages you, you can also preach and people can be fired up. But what I realize is that if you're not built on the truth of God's word, you can be an emotional Christian. What does that mean? It means that today you're excited. The next day you're down. The next day you're excited. You understand what I'm saying? But when you are built on the foundation of God's word, you will know God says rejoice, I say rejoice. Regardless of what you go through, you're just rejoicing. Are you following what I'm saying? So you need to be built up. First Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 26. We're talking about edifying the body of Christ now. Look at what he says. How then is it that brethren, whenever you come together, you know, sometimes people don't understand that our coming together is God's commandment. The Bible says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as in, in the nature of some who have departed from the faith. Listen, our coming together, coming for Bible studies or coming for Sunday meetings is not, uh, is not that that's how the church does it. It is a commandment of scriptures that believers be gathered. It, you, you must understand that. That the scripture commands that we be gathered. It is not um, an activity. No, it is a required spiritual function for the body of Christ that we be gathered. But let's go on. It says, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm. What are psalms? Spiritual songs. I, I believe this. It's good to do rehearsals. It's wonderful. You should rehearse. You should practice. It brings a level of excellence. But I also believe that what the, the height we should walk in is that when we come, we should be able to worship the Lord to the point where we sing the song of the Lord. Now, for some people, they call it spontaneous worship. But actually, I believe that for every gathering or for every meeting, there is something that God wants to communicate by the song of the Lord. And I've been privileged to sing a couple of songs, maybe three or four. Song of the Lord will just pick up from a message and the Lord begins to. And I actually believe... Um, that um, when you have a good worship team, uh, let me not use the word good, when you have a worship team that functions the way that we should function in the body of Christ, when, when a subject is being taught, 
I'm teaching right now on the building of the body of Christ and the roles of fivefold ministry. What the choir should do is get before the Lord and get a song that fits what I'm teaching. Not that you're going to look for a Ron Kennelly song that he sang fivefold ministers building the body. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. Or you go and look for a hill song and say, we are building the body, pastors and apostles, we are building the body. That's not what I'm saying. That's a lower realm of functioning in this. What you should do is go before the Lord and the Lord will give you a song or a psalm in the course of this month that we can sing. And what happened is that the choir, as the body of Christ, edifies us spiritually and we sing those songs. Um... In our ministry, Pastor Zuka writes the song of the Lord. When dad is teaching, he writes song. Um, Gospower does that. There are a couple of songs that were just written in our church. They don't have to be popular. You know, they, they, I don't know why I'm saying this, but I need to finish this. You see, but what got to us is that this thing of we want to record an album, we want to sell, it made us very professional and pulled us away from the realm of the spirit. Because what now happens is, for instance, you now say, okay, we are the body of Christ. No, say that one. No, say put body, body. Okay, so you now say, we are the body, body, body of Christ. You know, what now happens is you move out from that realm. You get technical about it because you want the song to appeal to people. And what we, what we lose is that we lose edification. We're not built up. We'll clap for you, we'll rejoice, but we're not built up. Now, there are few people who are psalmist in the body of Christ. Like Chris Delvin Guamna is a psalmist. He's, you can see him sing the song of the Lord. And one of the things you observe about the song of the Lord is that it is not complicated. Maybe two, three lines. But as you stay on the repeat, you find out that you are built up. You find out that you are... Um, you are you know, you are strengthened in might. I remember there's uh, this song we used to sing that you raised the other time that talks about um, we, we are excited when Jesus is glorified. You know, the song was timely. It fitted into what we're doing. It was edifying. It wasn't complex. It was edifying for the moment. You understand what I'm saying? So the Bible says that each of you has a psalm. You know, but the funny thing if you say, hey, come and sing. Uh, I don't know how to face the public. No, the church is not public. This is not public. This is the body of Christ, a family that needs to be edified by the grace that is in you. Because in Ephesians chapter 4 verse um, 12 and 13, before the Bible talks about the fivefold ministers, he had talked about the grace that is in every one of us. So everyone carries grace, okay? So Psalms, uh, one has a teaching, one has a tongue, one has a revelation, another has interpretation, but he now says, let all things be done for what? For edification. So, we don't do things in the body of Christ for impression. That's very important. Because the next line, he says, listen, look at what he says. He says, if anyone speaks in tongue, let there be two or at most three, each in tongue, and let one interpret. He says, but if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in church, and let him speak to himself and God. So, Paul brings in order. You understand what I'm saying? So, even though you have a psalm or a teaching, it has to come in order. So, what I'm trying to say is this. We don't do things to be impressing people in the body of Christ. You don't sing to impress people. And sometimes, sorry I'm saying this, but sometimes you get it. I mean, somebody's here leading the worship, and you're just worshiping the Lord and enjoying, and then they just go off trying to sound very nice, and boom, they just cut the flow of the Spirit. Because what have they done? They've moved from singing in the spirit 
and worshiping in the spirit, then now it's time to add the superstar thing. And when they get in there, they touch the glory of God with their flesh. And if you are spiritual, what you just observe is, boom, you just... Are you following what I'm saying? Now, why do you think some ministers travel with people to sing for them? It's not because there's nobody else who can sing. It is just because over time, they have ministered along with those people. And that's why it's important also that as you lead songs, your character is important. Because it is for what? Edification. Praise the name of the Lord. Okay, I'm emphasizing that because that looks like the most obvious um, place where a lot of saints edify us. You, you might not have many people speak in tongues. You might not have many people prophesy, but you have quite a lot of people who sing and all that. Let's move on. So we all have something to, to give in the body of Christ. So the body of Christ is not a place for superstars. One person performing for everybody. There's something within us that we can share with each other. And let me tell you how edification works when we talk about a psalm. For instance, it can, that's why we encourage people to fellowship after church. You might just be talking with somebody and just be talking normally, but the words you're saying is bringing comfort and edification to that individual. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not like we'll be in church and we'll not pass the mic and say, you Sam, you tongue, you interpretation, you pray, edify us. No, 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 no. We don't have to get mechanical about that. That's why we, we, we say spend time to greet one another, fellowship with one another. What are we doing? We're edifying one another. Praise the name of the Lord. Okay, now, uh, let's go on. Ephesians chapter 4. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 4. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. And let me just say this. I I think the Lord wants me to say this. If If you listen to a particular song and it's ministering to you, stay on that song for a long time. Don't run away from it. I'm not talking about those who are singing. I'm talking in your own life. Maybe you, you pick a particular song and that season, that song is so strong in your spirit, God wants to use that to build you up. You know? Stay on it. Praise God. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, it says, Till we all come to the unity of the faith. Now, it says the unity of the faith because when you go up to, when you go up um, in chapter, chapter 4, Verse 3 says, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. Verse 5, One Lord, one faith, one baptism. So there's one faith. Now, the building up is to bring us to the unity of faith. Now, I want to emphasize this because I've seen people also reference this a lot. And what they mean is that by unity of the faith, all the churches should come together and work together. I don't agree with that. And I don't think that is what the Bible is saying. Because the scripture has clearly says that two cannot work together except they agree. So the unity of the faith is a product of knowledge. It's not a product of a human organization. That's where I want to emphasize. So for instance, they said, okay, let's all the churches work together. And here's the guy who believes that the Holy Spirit is, uh, is, 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 is anointing oil packaged in a bottle. And then, I don't believe that, because that's not what the Word of God says. Now, how are we going to work together? It will be difficult for us to work together. So, the only way we can work together is if we come into the unity of the faith. Now, if we come into the unity of the faith, how do we come into the unity of the faith? If you read that line, you will understand what the scripture is saying. So, let's read it. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the... So, 
pause here. You cannot remove unity of faith as a single commodity because there is and there. What and does is that it's joining two things together. Okay, so, so I cannot say, well, I'm all for unity of faith. No, if you are for the unity of the faith, you should also be for the knowledge of the Son. I don't know if you get what I'm saying. You cannot emphasize unity. You cannot say, oh, well, I'm a unity person. I don't like quarrel. No, you will like quarrel. No, you cannot say you are for unity and then we're united in ignorance. Because unity of the faith is not separate from the knowledge of the Son. Now, it is the knowledge of the Son that brings the unity of faith. Let's read on. You understand it now. It says, Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So, it gives us... Now, I want to, I want to emphasize it. Just give me a bit of time and, and follow me here now. It gives us the exact knowledge that God wants the fivefold ministers to pass across. It is not any kind of knowledge. It is the knowledge of the Son of God. That is what God wants the apostle, the prophet, the teacher, the evangelist, the pastor to teach. Your pastor is not to teach you how to run your business. That's not the knowledge of the Son. He can, but that's not his job. The job and the knowledge that should be dispensed by fivefold ministers, it's strictly written in the scriptures. It should be the knowledge of the Son. Why? Because it is only the knowledge of the Son that can bring us to the measure of the fullness of Christ. So, this is what happens. At this point is the measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ. Now, that is God's ultimate goal. Because in Genesis chapter 1, when he was creating man, he says, I want to create man in my image and likeness. Now, man fell. So, the question is, how does man come back to this point of the fullness of the stature of Christ? Now, what God does is that he comes here in death, burial, and resurrection. He gives in the body of Christ fivefold ministers. So, he says, the fivefold ministers are going to teach the rest of the people until they all come to that point. But if they're going to come to that point, there is only one specific knowledge that can bring them to the point of the fullness of the stature of Christ. And that is the knowledge of the Son of God. If you learn any other thing, you will grow, but not into the fullness of the stature of the measure of Christ. And that is very important in the role of fivefold ministers. That it is in the dispensing of the knowledge of the Son of God that brings us into that perfect full state. So a pastor can teach any other thing. He can be good in any other thing. He can be good in business administration. He can be good in whatever he's teaching. But if it is not the knowledge of the Son of God, it cannot build you into the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. Now Paul says this. Paul says that I desire to know nothing among you except Jesus and him crucified. Now we'll go there, but I just want to point out something here now. The key factor in Ephesians chapter 4 is the knowledge of the Son. That's very key. The word knowledge is epignosis. It means recognition, full discernment. In fact, 
it uses the word acknowledgement. And I like the word acknowledgement because if epignosis means acknowledgement, it means that the measure of the fullness of Christ is already in our spirit at new birth. And what we do is we acknowledge, Philemon said that, we acknowledge every good thing that is in us in Christ Jesus. And as we acknowledge that, our mind is renewed. Now, epignosis, now the word epignosis, which is the word knowledge there, is used several times in the New Testament. So I want us to read six, six places it was used. Um, you find out that all the prayers of Paul, he uses this word, epignosis. Full discernment, full knowledge, full acknowledgement. Let's go to Ephesians 1 17. Read quickly with me. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. It says that the God of our, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit and the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the epignosis of him, in the full knowledge of him, in the full discernment of him, in the acknowledgement of him. Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. Philippians 1 9. And I pray that your love may abound still more and more in the epignosis and all discernment, in knowledge and all discernment, in knowledge and all discernment. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the epignosis, with the knowledge of his will, the full discernment of his will, the acknowledgement of his will, the full recognition of his will. Praise the name of the Lord. In all wisdom and spiritual understanding, Colossians chapter 2 verse 2, Colossians 2 2, that their hearts may be encouraged, be knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement or the King James Version uses the word the acknowledgement but the, the New King James uses the word to the knowledge or to the epignosis of the mystery of God both of the Father and of Christ Colossians chapter 3 verse 10 Colossians 3 10 and have put on the new man who is renewed in epignosis who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him now i want you to emphasize that it says that the the the, the new man is renewed in the epignosis according to the image of him who created him that means that the only way to renew the new man is to give him the image of him who created him which is christ and that without the knowledge of Christ, we cannot renew the new man. It's not the knowledge of demons. It's not the knowledge of crisis. It's not the knowledge of ancestral spirits. It's the knowledge of Christ. Okay? So let's go on now. First Timothy chapter 2 verse 4. First Timothy chapter 2 verse 4. It says, Who desire all men to, to be saved and to come to the epignosis of the truth, to the knowledge of the truth. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse, verse uh, 25. Am I right? Say that now. Yeah. 2 Timothy 2, 25. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. The word know there, epignosis is used. Now, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7. Always learning. Now, this is where I want to emphasize. Always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So, learning and coming to the knowledge of the truth are two different things. You know, so some people say, ah, but you are a Christian. Yes, he has learned, but he has not come to the knowledge of the truth. 
He has not come to the full realization, the epignosis, the acknowledgement of the truth. So, in those days, I used to be surprised a lot when I see believers behave in certain ways. But it doesn't surprise me anymore. Because the guy can be in church every single day of his life, learning, but has not come to the epignosis of the truth. So, there are two different things. In learning, you get to learn truth, but you must come. And that's why Paul always prayed. If you read what we just read in um, Ephesians 1.17, Philippians 1.9, Colossians 1.9, Colossians 1.16, Colossians 3.10. What was Paul doing? Praying that their eyes would be opened. But these were the people he was teaching every day. How many of you remember that when Jesus... Um, praise God. Am I going too fast? Okay. <laughs> How many of you remember that when Jesus was teaching, after he finished teaching, he says, he who has ears, let him hear. What was he saying? You can be learning, but you do not come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, it is in coming to the knowledge of the truth that the pastors need to help you. So, so the goal or the... What's that now? The measurement of a true minister is how far he has been able to help you to come to what? The knowledge of the truth. And this has to be backed up with the prayers of revelation. That the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened. That you may know. That you may know. So after teaching, we pray that our eyes will be enlightened. That's why this should be one of the prayers we pray before we even start service that god will open our eyes that the eyes of understanding will be enlightened because it is the eyes of understanding that brings us to the epignosis the revelation the acknowledgement of the work of god praise the name of the lord okay so paul separates learning from that so he talked about coming to the knowledge of truth so the knowledge must be of the son just want to see this quickly okay the message of the fivefold ministers must be the knowledge of the Son. Paul says, I desire to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 2. 1 Corinthians 2, 2. Am I right? Yeah. And I, verse 1. <laughs> okay. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech. So, this is talking about oratory. You know, there are some pastors you listen to them say, Ah, that man can talk. Yeah. Look at English. Paul says, I didn't come to you with excellence of speech. Okay? He goes on to say that. Or of wisdom. Declaring to you the testimony of God. For I am determined to know nothing among you except Jesus and him crucified. Now, Paul was a man who had the equivalent of two doctorate degrees in theology. Probably from church history. Almost at the age of 21, he had, a two, he had a doctorate. He talked about his, his credentials in, 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 in studies. He studied under one of the best tutors you could find. Yet he said, the focal point of his teaching and preaching is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul could have taught so many things, but he said, hey, listen, I don't want to know anything among you. I don't even want to know how rich you guys are. I don't want to know how poor you are. I don't even care to know anything among you. I just, when I come among you, hey, I want to know something. Christ and him crucified. Don't forget, this was the Corinthians church where Paul talked about the gifts of the Spirit. So he didn't even, want, he didn't even come and say, hey guys, by the time I come, I want to see that you raised a hundred dead people. No, he didn't say that. He says, I just want to know something. When I come, Jesus and him crucified. That's all. 
Now, interestingly, please pay attention to this. Pay very good attention to this. Luke chapter 24, verse 27. Pay very, very, very close attention to this. Very close attention. Because you can have a pastor who tells you that you should read the psalm on water and pray. Or, you know, people take the Old Testament scripture and pray all kinds of prayers from it. Luke 24, verse 27. Let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. And listen, this is a test of a true New Testament prayer point. Any prayer point you cannot substantiate from the Pauline epistles might not be consistent with the New Testament or the New Covenant. And you know why? Because all the prayers you find in the Pauline epistles, what, what are they requesting for? Knowledge and awareness. You can't find anywhere where you find dangerous prayer points. Although some of these guys can coin it from anywhere, but you wouldn't find it if you interpret it in context. Now look at Luke chapter 24 verse 27. Look at this. This was talking about Jesus, the road to Emmaus. And beginning at Moses, when he says beginning at Moses, what is he referring to? The Pentateuch, the five books of Moses and the law. Starting from Moses and all of the prophets. We're talking about all of the prophets. What are we talking about? The prophetic books, the major prophets, Isaiah, the minor prophets. He expounded to them in all the scriptures. So, come on now. Three things now. Number one, it looks beginning from Moses, the first five books, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, all the books Moses wrote, and all the prophets, all the prophetic book, the major and the minor prophets, and all the scriptures. So now there's no book left because you've got Moses, the, the Lord, the five, first five books, you've got the prophets, and you've got all scriptures. And expanded to them in all scriptures the things concerning himself. So you know what? What is happening here? Jesus was explaining to them that, hey, when you read about the Passover lamb in Leviticus, and you find that experience in Exodus, he wasn't talking about a lamb. He was talking about me being your Passover lamb. When you read about the first fruits, it was a symbol of me being the firstborn among many brethren. And he says, beginning from Moses to the prophet and all of scriptures, he opened the Bible and said, listen, everything in the Bible is talking about me. I am the summation of scriptures. So that's why when we read the Old Testament, we do not read it with the same lens that they have. I'm going to read something to you right now. We read it with the mind that this is talking about Jesus. Jesus is the summation of scriptures. That is important because that is where we miss it. If we cannot see Jesus in scriptures... In the Old Testament, in Moses and the prophets, we will not be able to interpret it correctly because all of these things were talking about him. Now let's read on. Let's read on. Let's go to Acts chapter 8 verse 5. We'll do four more, we'll do four more scriptures and then we can close. Acts chapter 8 verse 5. Look at this now. Acts chapter 8 verse 5. This was Philip who was an evangelist. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria. And what happened? And preached Christ to them. So he was an evangelist. He didn't go there and preach generational curses to them. He didn't go there and say, hey, this, 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 this. No, he went to Samaria and preached what? 
Christ to them. Okay. Now, go to Colossians chapter 1 verse 28. Colossians 1 28. There's something I wanted to show you in Acts, but probably we'll just... Uh, uh, but if you go back home, just study it, please. I want if you go to Acts chapter two. Okay, if you go to Acts chapter two and you read the 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 preaching of Peter on the day of Pentecost, even though he talked about Joel's prophecy, he talked about all of those things. What he did is at the end. Uh, let me say this now. Okay, let's just go there quickly. Just give me a few minutes. Let's go there quickly. Go to Acts chapter 2. I want to show you something. I want to just show you quickly something. Acts chapter 2. Just go with me very quickly. Let's go to verse 22. Remember when Peter now stood up to preach? Verse 14 says, But Peter standing up with eleven raised, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. And verse 16, But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So he talked about the prophet Joel. Go to verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to, by God to you by miracles, signs, and wonders, and all that. Go to verse 25. For David said concerning him. For David said concerning him. So he's talking about the Psalms. Then he now said what David said. Go to verse 29. Men and brethren, let me free, speak freely to you of the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. So the scripture calls David a prophet. Remember what that taught on Sunday. But what I want you to say there says, where, where are you, where are you guys? What I want to say here says, therefore being a prophet, verse 30, and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him, of the fruit of his body according to the flesh he would raise up christ to sit on his throne he foreseen this verse 31 spoke concerning the resurrection of christ that his soul was not left in hate nor did his flesh see corruption pause there what was happening here so when you go to the book of psalms and you read when david says my soul will not see corruption neither my body will be left in hell if you read that you think david was talking about himself but no the bible says david foreseen that the promise of god to him was his seed prophesied about the resurrection of jesus so when we read the book of psalms we read about jesus if we don't read the bible like that you can take that scripture and just run away from it so i don't have time now but if you read the whole of this go to verse 34 i'll show you something quickly verse 34 for david did not ascend into heavens but he himself said the lord said to my lord sit at my right hand till i make your enemies your footstool therefore let all the house of israel know assuredly that god has made jesus whom you crucified both lord and christ come on now watch this i like this i like this so you can take that scripture and says the lord said to my lord sit at my right hand until i make all your enemies my footstool and he said let's pray that all your enemies will be your footstool and god is wanting like ah oh, no 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 get a bible teacher to teach them this was talking about jesus who is going to be crucified and it's going to be made lord and christ so we cannot see the scriptures without the eyes of jesus 
And this is our problem. This is our problem in the body of Christ. We just take scriptures. So you see, somebody can even come and lead prayers with that. Today, God is going to make your enemies your footstool. And you're shouting, Amen. Lord, make them my footstool. And God is just like, oh, oh, oh. That's why I said the fivefold ministers. This was talking about Christ. Because God has already told you that if your ways pleases the Lord, he will make his enemies to be at peace with you. Do you understand? It's not about them. Well, let's move on now. So you can read all of that. Colossians 1.28. So you see, all these guys, even when they quoted the Old Testament, they pointed to what? They pointed to what? To Christ. Colossians 1.28. Let's do three more scriptures. Colossians 1.28. Him we preach. One in every man. Who is him? Jesus. Jesus we preach. You can just put it there that Jesus we preach. Him we preach. One in every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man what? Perfect. Come on, come on. Look at this. Don't miss this. I know our time is up, but don't miss this. Him we preach. Underline that. Him we preach. That we may present every man perfect in Christ. How do we present every man perfect in Christ? Preach him. Him we preach. Him we preach. The end result of him we preach is every man is perfect in Christ. What does Ephesians 4.11 say? 4.11 and 12. For the perfecting of the saints. How do you achieve that? Preach him. Him we preach, every man is perfect. We preach something else, we can't get them perfect. Him we preach must be the goal, must be the ultimate message. Alright? Okay. The message must be Christ, nothing else. The message must be Christ, nothing else. Colossians 3.10 And I put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. So in understanding... Uh, I have time to read this now. 2 Corinthians 3.14. I'll show you something there, then we can just close. 2 Corinthians 3.14. I'll just show you something here now. Because on Sunday, I want to teach on how to judge prophecies, so I don't want to get into this on Sunday. But 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14. I'll show you something here. Look at this. Look at this. I, I think I'll just, I'll just pause here. Let's, let's read this. Let's, let's, let's open this scripture up now and say this. And say this. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's look at verse 14 and read it carefully. But their minds were blinded. Talking about the old saints. For until this day, what, which day was he talking about? The day he was writing to the Corinthian church. Look at this. Until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in reading of the Old Testament. Because the veil is taken away in Christ. Can you look at that? He's saying that even if we read the Old Testament today, the same veil that blinded their minds is still there. Because there's only one place in which the veil is taken away, and that is in Christ. Now look at this. He now says, but even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their hearts. That means even as we are in church today, we can read the Old Testament. Remember when he said from Moses, he expanded Christ to them. We can read from the Old Testament and still have a veil in our hearts. But look at what he says. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, now this is the key with unveiled face so if our face is not unveiled we cannot behold the image of the lord 
But we all with unveiled face, beholding us in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So when we say from glory to glory, it's not from more money to more money. Come on now. When we say from glory to glory, what are we talking about? Increased understanding of the image of Jesus. From glory to glory is no more houses. So I can take a team and say, this year's convention is from glory to glory. And I hear somebody say, well, praise the Lord. After I attended from glory to glory, I had one child. Now I have triplets. Praise the Lord. It's a year of glory to glory. Like the veil is there. The veil is still there. If you will turn to the Lord, he will take this out to show you that from glory to glory simply means all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And God is saying the more we hear this message, the more that glory you fell short of, you will not receive it back and become the original image that God intended to be from the beginning of time. So Paul now says, therefore, since we have received this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. That means, what Paul is saying is, listen, the message of Christ and the ministry of Christ, we don't lose heart. Because, listen, it's not a very good message. In the terms of the world. It's not a message everybody wants. You know, there's a word I can hear this message now. And the end of it, I say, uh-huh, so what have you said? Do you understand? So he says, since we have received this ministry, we do not lose heart. That it is no longer a ministry of condemnation. And I don't have time to go there, but I'll tell you this thing. If you read the Old Testament without Christ, it will generate condemnation. And that's why, observe this. The more we are emphasizing the Old Testament in the, in, in, without Christ, there's nothing wrong with the Old Testament. I don't, I'm not part of those preachers who say we should read only Pauline epistles. No, I read the whole Bible. But if we read it without Christ, you know what will happen? That's why we're getting back into more laws in church. More laws. More laws. Because the old without Christ will always bring condemnation and regulations and religion. Praise the name of the Lord. Let's thank the Lord. Father, we thank you. Oh, we bless you for the revelation of your word. We thank you, Father God, because our heart is strengthened. We thank you, Father God, because since you have granted this ministry to us, we do not lose hearts. We thank you for the spirit of grace and understanding that has come upon us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Thank you for listening to Present Truth Broadcast with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.pastormax.ng. We would also like to hear from you. Send us an email, info at pastormax.ng or call 0805-888-7575. God bless you.